0: Hey there, my name is Kevin Mitchell. I am that annoying guy you hear singing for Jebediah, but I also masquerade as Bob Evans playing a slightly quieter acoustic kind of songs.
1: Welcome, yes, it is episode four of introducing this kind of mini COVID-riddled Zoom fest season of my podcast, Introducing. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Hope you enjoyed TK Meidzer last. Um, if you haven't, listened to it. What's wrong with you? Go on, listen to TK. She's amazing. I'm looking forward to this because I, I reckon this will be the last distanced chat, if you know what I mean. I can see the light. Premieres are using the word roadmap. I feel we'll be out in venues by summer and I'll be able to get face-to-face with some bands and some killer artists again soon and bring a chat to you just as it was always intended with a few cans of beer. But this is the last kind of Zoom fest one and I'm looking forward to you hearing this because this is uh, Kevin Mitchell. Now, I used to work with Kevin Mitchell, a.k.a. Bob Evans from Jebediah as well. Yeah, we used to work together at Nova 937 radio station in Perth. Yeah, we'll also talk lockdown because he is, at the time of this chat, locked down in his home studio, also known as his garage at home, where he's sent to do some work and escape the family occasionally and maybe the family sent him there as well. His tour, the Tomorrowland tour, as I bring my laptop over and share some dates with you, has been pushed around and rescheduled a thousand times. But as it stands now, on November 18, he is in Brisbane and then he goes all through to Adelaide to Perth Margaret River Northcote Social Club killer venue in Melbourne Molly Mook as well uh, in March next year he's also at the Enmore Theatre sometime in May Uh, just check out bobevans.com.au and depending on where you live will depend on whether or not you can go and see him but I I tell you what you should go and see him and I hope you enjoyed this chat with me old mate Kevin Mitchell it's so good to see you. I haven't seen you for so long. Me too. Yeah, it's great to see you. Did we meet at Nova in Perth when you were doing WA made, your little radio show? Is that when we first met maybe, how how long ago would you say that is? Like 2001? Well, um, it two? was?
0: Yeah. Well, it was when Nova in Perth first started, right? So whatever that was, oh one oh two, sounds right. Mm. And yeah, Chris from Jebedire and myself were, it was actually after- we were there on the opening
1: day. Yeah, you were. And then, yeah, a few days after that, the guy, I think his name was Andrew. Yeah. Is that his name? Yeah. You know, he's like running a radio station in LA now or something. Oh, really? Okay. Mm, yeah, yeah. So be, well, yeah, be so kind. He,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's, he asked, just out of the blue, yeah, just asked me and Chris if we wanted to be interested in doing this, you know, a local WA music program and, you know. We didn't have anything much better to do, so <laughs> we said yes. It was at a Sunday night from like ten to midnight, I think. Yeah, right. On a Sunday night, I think that's is that a, like a non ratings
1: period? Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, well, generally though, when you put someone in at ten to midnight, your idea from there is you meant to progress to when the sun's up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, we just we did it for a year and then we stopped because we were about to yeah. So it must have been two thousand and three because we were um, sort of writing an album which was called Braxton Hicks and that came out the following year and I think we ended up just going, because we were going on tour and putting this record out and we were just like, oh, I think we just need to sort of drop all those other things and just concentrate on Touring for the years. So, yes, I wonder if, looking back, if maybe that was an opportunity <laughs> at a radio career that I... <laughs>
1: yeah, maybe, maybe. Well, I'm still doing the same thing with the same company, so I don't know. who's who, <laughs> <That's> amazing. <laughs> who's the biggest success? I'm not sure. That day, the launch of Nova Perth was huge for me because I met my wife on that day. I also got to no launch... No way. Yeah, I also got to launch the radio station with my favourite band, which is the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you were the first live band, really, on the station until... The Chili Peppers threw the rule book out because they were supposed to be there for like 15 minutes and apparently they were supposed to not really give much of a shit, but of course they did yeah. because why not? Yeah. They stayed for an hour and then the, uh, Anthony Kiedis said- And this is how I remember it. And as I said, it was a big day okay. for me. So, if you if you okay. remember it differently, please tell me. Okay, But I remember Anthony and Flea sitting there in one of the songs and they go, there's all these instruments out there, yeah. which were Jebediah's instruments. Yeah. Do you mind if we- uh, Play you a song? I'm like, well, who am I to say no to Anthony Kiedis and Flea? And then apparently they went in and retuned all your stuff before your first. Live oh yeah, we hadn't played it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yet. They were just your stuff. And they were like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it was. And and look,
1: and you can't really be angry because it's the Chili Peppers. But you're like,
0: Oh, we were a little bit. Look, I'm no, I'm not a massive Chili Peppers fan. So, <laughs> although I, I love John Fruscianti. I think John Fruscianti- yes, was, yes, uh, Chili Peppers for me. Yeah, one of those bands that they're a butt band because I don't really like them, but there are some songs that I have to admit, like when Scar Tissue came out, i got to admit, I felt that, I really liked that song. And when John Frusciante came back into the band again and he's such an awesome guitarist, so there are elements of the band that I really like. But, yeah, they, everyone at the radio station was really cool and, um, <laughs> you know, because they knew that we were kind of you know, being uh, a very accommodating. Yeah. Um, not, not that we had a huge amount of choice. Um, I guess when <laughs> I guess, but you know what it what it did. Kind of. I remember all of us kind of talking about it at the time, just kind of going, yeah. You know, this is what it's like when you're in a band as big as the Chili Peppers, because you just live in a bubble where if you want something to happen, you're just used to having people around you just saying yes and making it happen right you don't have to like a band like us you know we would think at times like oh we, we wouldn't even consider doing that because we just don't live in that sort of fairly rarefied kind of world that i think when you're a global you know massive band you yeah i just think that you do that sort of stuff without even kind of thinking about it bands like that probably always just kind of feel like the people that are around them are working for them
1: I guess you do get to that stage where you you probably don't hear the word no very often and then when you do, you fire them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But it's like that no one was working for them. They were a radio station. Everybody was kind of just accommodating them. Well,
1: mate, they even got to pick the playlist. The first, like, six songs on Nova were just crazy. Like, I I know Susie and the Banshees was one of the bands. We played Amy Mann's One, I think, which was amazing. A Queen song that I'd never heard of and I thought I'd heard all the Queen songs. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) If you hadn't back then definitely now because, like, I've really noticed that recently and I think, you know, I'm not sure if this started with the, because they had a a sort of stage, uh, like a theatre kind of show for a while or something, didn't they? Um, We We Were were Rocky. Rocky, Oh, yeah, that was one of the
1: only shows I left in the interval. Did not. I never saw it. (laughs) But then that movie came out and it was such a
0: huge hit and I just find now, like, you just hear Queen songs all the time over these last few years. I think there was a period of time maybe – In the 2000s, where I don't remember hearing them a lot. I I remember- We're seeing
1: seeing 12-year-old girls at JB Hi-Fi with the We Will Rock You soundtrack, because they've just heard Bohemian Rhapsody for the first time. Like, in that regard, it's awesome, but I know what you mean.
0: When did Freddie Mercury die? Was that like 1980-something? Oh,
1: I can't remember. Let's say 80s, yeah.
0: Because, yeah, because I do remember in the 80s having like a Queen- Queen Greatest Hits on cassette tape.
1: 91, there
0: you go. Okay, it was 91, was it? Mm, yeah. It must have been soon after he died, I think, that they put out this Greatest Hits album and we had it on cassette tape and I do remember listening to it. I've got very specific memories of listening to that record or that tape while working at my dad's warehouse. Sometimes on weekends, he'd get me and my brothers to come in and work at his warehouse and like repack pallets of food and drink. Like Sometimes they'd have accidents on the train coming over the Nullarbor to Perth <laughs> yeah. and stuff would fall off, pallets would get get ruined and they had to sort and nobody in the warehouse wanted to do it so he'd just like pay us like you know three bucks an hour to come in on a sunday and repack these pallets of like Ribena and stuff like that and i'd listen to the queen that queen record while doing that
1: yeah okay there you go well we we, we, will talk about your music but the one last thing i want to say is i watched that movie and i went wow the the freddie mercury story is so much more interesting than that movie (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, all the really interesting parts weren't really in it. It was kind of a, a made-for-TV, Sunday night, family viewing. Yeah. It X was, yeah. yeah. It was almost like the person that made the first Nirvana movie. I'm like, well, you kind of mucked that up because no one's going to try doing that now for another 20 years. <laughs> Hey, what's the first Nirvana movie? Well, I, I think Gus Van Sant did this obscure Nirvana movie where he may have implied some of the band members were sleeping oh, with each okay, other because yeah. that's what Gus Van Sant movies are about. <laughs> but I'm like, no one's really going to attend that, but maybe we could attempt that. But look, this is introducing- we want to talk about you. I want to go back to the start because, yeah, okay, I met you 20 years ago, but where did it start for you? Because you're Perth born and bred. Yeah. Was there a, a moment in your household growing up where you heard something or we living in a musical house where you kind of ears pricked up and went, okay- I'm a bit interested in this.
0: Yeah, I didn't really live in what I would describe as a musical house. Yeah. You know, I've said that before and on the record and my mum gets a little bit annoyed because (laughs) she reminds me that, you know, she played violin and and we always had a piano in the house, but I don't remember anybody ever playing it. But They had a record collection, a a small record collection, but there were some good records in there. And the sort of thing that for me I think that kind of flicked that switch or kind of the sparks that kind of set that little fire in me as a little kid to become really attracted to music was actually not a record at all. It was actually a TV show called Fame. Yeah. And and for people who don't know about Fame, it was this TV show in the 80s. It was kind of about kids in New York going to the Juilliard School, which is like a school of the arts. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at it now. Pretty, it looks pretty funky.
1: <laughs> I love
0: that show. So but not only was it set in New York in the 80s and, you know, New York in the 80s looked so cool because was, everything was graffitied and, you know, it was yeah. pretty kind of grungy. But, no, so these kids basically they went to school and all they did was, like, sing and dance and play instruments. I looked at that and just thought, that looks like heaven to me because that's all I wanted to do. So that kind of set me on the course of like signing up to dancing classes, you know, little little jazz Ah. ballet classes. This is when I was like about seven, right? Yeah. And so then I'd just go dancing twice a week after school and be listening to whatever the pop songs
1: were happening at that time.
0: And that was kind of my introduction
1: to Well, I wouldn't wouldn't have picked dance classes at seven twice a week as your introduction. And your mum's violin if your mum's listening. I'm not much of a dancer now.
0: But, yeah, that was kind of where it started. And and I've loved music ever since, but I didn't pick up an instrument and start writing songs until I was about 12. I started writing songs in my head and then I started to learn guitar to try and kind of turn them into real things, you know.
1: Because I always think that's the big difference. I could always play four chords of guitar, but I love just listening to a Radiohead song and then being able to play it then I put it down and moved on with my life. But I guess the real (laughs) difference is that you you wanted to write something and create it yourself, which is, I guess, why you're where you are now. Can you remember the first song you wrote at 12? (laughs) It's just really embarrassing, of course. (laughs) No, it wasn't Karma Police. <laughs> <laughs> so the first
0: song I wrote that I can remember writing, and so what I used to do is I used to just kind of imagine imagine songs, right, because I didn't know how to play an instrument yet. But the first song I ever imagined in my head was called Steam on the Mirror. Now, Steam on the Mirror was kind of it was a bit sexy, and as a 12-year-old boy <laughs> – I was writing about an experience that I was still many, many years away <laughs> yeah. from experiencing. I'm about self. to say you were
1: very advanced, but no, okay, good.
0: <laughs> it kind of it worked on a it worked on a basic blues. Well, because I didn't actually know what sex was at that point. No. That's why it was kind of alluded to it. There was steam on the mirror in the bedroom last night. You know, like something happened. I don't know what it was, but something definitely happened in the bedroom last night and it was hot and it caused steam to appear on the mirror.
1: And it was kind of based around a blues riff. Do you have a bit of it? Do you remember a bit of it? I think this is the first thing you should play for us. A little bit of okay. steam oh, on the mirror, because I'm assuming um, if the steam on the mirror is still there from the night before, that session went for hours. <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like a bluesy song, like um, like an ACDC style. style but, um,
0: there was steam on the mirror in the bedroom last night. <laughs> there was steam, steam. In on the mirror in the bedroom last night, there was steam. On the mirror in the bedroom last night, there was steam. On the mirror in the bedroom last night.
1: Yeah. If albums still did secret tracks, I think that could be a secret track on the next Bob Evans
0: record. <laughs> it's certainly, I think this is only the second time on the record that I've ever put that out there, so, yeah.
1: There you go. I feel privileged. Pretty,
0: pretty embarrassing. But then the songs I started writing after that became more kind of romantic and lubby dubby and less sexy. And then by the time I was a, got into my teens and discovered, you know, rock and roll,
1: then all the songs just got really angry and depressed. The grunge years. <laughs> Everything got real dark. Yeah, the baggy jeans and the beanie in, in the Perth heat. <laughs> I lived in Perth for like three years, and I just remember it being very exciting musically. I mean, obviously, with Tame in Parlour now, but Sleepy Jackson, were, we're I was mad yeah, fans of when I was off. there. The Panics, yeah. End of Fashion, pretty much your guest list from WA Made. Obviously, Jebediah, we're talking, was it 93, 94, when Jebediah, is that your first year we on the scene? We started- 95.
0: Okay. 95. We played our
1: first gig right at the start of
0: 95. Brett, my brother, is the drummer, and Chris and Vanessa, two of my good mates. And So we were all we all went to school together. We'd all been friends for like probably about uh, five years before the band started because we went through high school together. And we started the band the year that I finished high school, my first year of uni. That was a short-lived career. <laughs> 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 but, yeah, so, so we'd been friends for a long time before we started the band and then started the band because I was just – you know, by that stage, I was really desperate to start to, to play in a band. And then it was just kind of happened really fast after that. You know, it only took about a year for us to start getting offered record deals
1: and then going to the studio and
0: playing festivals and everything, all that sort of stuff. It happened super fast.
1: And was it always the plan to be a career then or was it well, because it happened so fast, you kind of blinked and then six years passed and you'd done two big day outs and you'd won awards and you were no, <laughs> like, oh, wow. That's exactly it. No, it's like today, it's like 25 years of, I blink and
0: 25 years have gone by. All I remember ever wanting to do was just get a gig supporting UMI at the Grosvenor Hotel in Perth. You know, that was my ultimate dream. So none of us were really ambitious. And because things did happen so fast, it was kind of like just getting swept up in a wave to use a a sort of well-worn analogy. But It was very much just like getting caught up on a wave and we just kept riding the wave and just trying not to fall over, you know, and just for as long as we could. And one thing just kept leading to the next and the next. And we were, for about a good three or four years after we formed, opportunities were kind of just coming to us and falling in our laps. and, And they were always a step ahead of where
1: our ambitions lay, you know. That's good, though. That's a good way for things to pan out as opposed to the other way around. Your ambitions are over here and things happening back here.
0: <laughs> yeah, and then everybody has such a – any musician you speak to will have their own unique kind of experience. You know, lots of musicians that, you know, are grinding it out for a decade or more before they even get a sniff of, yeah. of kind of recognition or opportunity and stuff. For us, we were very young. I was a teenager – and it happened super fast and, and it was very exciting and really great.
1: Well, to be able to share that with your friends too, I think would be so cool as opposed to I feel for young artists who are on, on their own and, and happening, everything's happening so fast because then all of a sudden they're with a whole bunch of strangers and even back to that Chili Peppers thing, that people are working for them or whatever. It's like at least you got to maybe sit back with, with your mates and then look at each other and go, this is pretty cool. <laughs> like this is pretty good. Yeah, well,
0: it was really great and I think we had those moments where we, but but things did happen really fast, and so in some ways I wish that I had have kind of stopped and smelt the roses a little bit more. But, you know, again, it's like when you're that
1: young. You don't do it when you you're just, young. No. You, you just don't have that. You're not smelling anything when you're young. You know, <laughs> could you, without saying it, do you mind playing like 10, 15 seconds of the song that changed it all for you?
0: Well, it was uh, Leaving Home. We'd put out a single that had gotten some airplay on Triple J, and it was the first single from... Our first album. So Leaving Home came out a couple of months before Slightly Odd the record, and, and that's kind of what launched just so, um, I don't know. I'll just play the chorus. Leaving home, life was never good to me. Leaving home, I smell the morning and leaving home. Life was never good, you can work it out. We're well. leaving home.
1: Yeah, unreal.
0: The other song from that record was Harpoon, which, you know, I guess sort of satisfied that in, in a very traditional rock and roll way, the ballad of Harpoon became pretty much as popular, maybe even more popular than Living Home now, I'm not sure. Yeah. But, yeah, that was kind of where it started, and then we were just hanging on for dear life after that.
1: And so was it all the big day out? It did feel like there were a lot of bands doing such different stuff all coming out of our tiny little country and and what was the camaraderie like were were you friends with other bands kind of going up through the ranks and i guess especially with festivals like big day out when you're actually touring with these bands for weeks at a time was yeah. there a camaraderie from a fans point of view it looked like there was no absolutely there was and it still is i
0: mean a lot of the bands that were part of that mid 90s late 90s australian scene where things were really sort of blowing up, a lot of them are still together now. We're still playing shows with them, you know, like you and Regurgitator and Spiderbait and Magic Dirt. And yeah. Scream Screamfeeder and Grinspoon. They're all still going and some of the lineups have changed a bit but most of them have stayed the same. Most of the bands pretty much look the same as they did before. And there was a great camaraderie and I think it was a camaraderie that was based on very Australian kind of characteristics like Especially, you know, you mentioned The Big Day Out. The Australian bands on The Big Day Out kind of hung out together. I don't want to overstate this, but there's a little bit of an us against them kind of mentality, perhaps. Australian bands kind of band together. The international bands, not all of them, you know, but some of them would, again, sort of live in that very rarefied kind of air. I think Australian bands, like, if Australian bands kind of, if, if anybody was a dick or... You know, their ego was out of control. People just didn't have time for that, you know. There was just an attitude, I guess, that was a little bit different and the Australian bands just kind of were mates and supported each other and it was really healthy, you know. I didn't feel that a huge sense of competition and stuff, you know. And maybe that just comes from being a small country, you know, where everybody knows each other and it's a tight-knit kind of
1: community. Well, especially and- even with the media too. I mean, interviewing a lot of you for so many years, I felt the exact same way because if someone was addicted to us, not that we'd ever throw our weight around, but everyone talked and because- Everyone knows each other. because right. we all know each other, I was like, was he really like that? What do you mean Kev didn't take his sunnies off and didn't look at you in the eye? The, <laughs> I, well, I, I tell everyone that y- story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're totally right, though. The Australian music industry. Industry, so, yeah. the, the bands, media, record companies, like- Everyone that's involved, it is a pretty small industry and yeah, after a few years of being in it, you end up kind of getting to know everybody and and yeah, you're right, people do talk and I think that's just a characteristic of being Australian, being in in a relatively small country and kind of Australian attitude towards things.
1: So let's talk about Bob Evans. Was Bob Evans uh, and the Bob Evans' style of music trickling along in the background of Jebediah's speedy success or was that something that when you actually finally got to stop and maybe smell the roses, you're like, oh, well, this is something I could now bring to the world and it feels right?
0: Well, I started doing Bob Evans' live shows, you know, around 98 when Jebediah had really kind of taken off. And it was a strange time to kind of start doing it because I was really – Conscious of not wanting to kind of ride on the coattails of the success of the band and be sort of looked at as like oh the you know lead singer going off and doing the solo thing, I really didn't want to kind of play into that trope, you know, because I just didn't like the way that that would be perceived. So that's why I gave myself a name, and it was kind of to be incognito, right? That was the idea of doing these solo gigs. I'll go under the name Bob Evans, no one will know about it, and I'll get to do these shows. And I was doing that for years. The first album I put out was in 2003 and the reason that it happened then was because Jeb and I had just been dropped by Sony. We'd done three records and a kind of compilation B-Sides Rarities album called Glee Sides and Sparities and we were dropped by Sony and so we were independent and a couple of years before that we'd started up our own record label and started putting other bands' records out in our label. So it was like, okay, well, now that I've got my own label, I can do what I want now, so I thought I'll – I've got some songs that I think are good, I'll make a record. But even then it was, you know, it didn't really get played in the radio and nothing really happened. So it was kind of 2005, so two years after that first record came out where I was demoing another Bob Evans record and I'd become a lot more ambitious creatively. I was really, really striving to do something really, really good. I was in my late 20s by then and feeling like I needed to kind of make a bit of a statement creatively. And that demo found its way to... EMI and I ended up signing with them and then they sent me off to Nashville and I made Suburban Songbook and that was this Bob record that kind of kicked all of that off and that was when Jeb and I were taking a bit of a break because we'd been going 10 years on stop and just needed a year off to kind of do other things you know you're married to a band for 10 years you you kind of miss out on stuff so we were taking a break so it all kind of happened I never expected the Bob Evans record to take off like it did that did come as a surprise but
1: you won an ARIA for that one didn't you? For a suburban I did songbook, my yeah.
0: my one and only aria. <laughs> been nominated a bunch of times, but only ever won one. And uh, yeah, it was for that record, which again was a real thrill. Yeah, because by the time I got to the, there, you know, and had I'd been to lots of arias before and never won anything, and I'd really built up this attitude of like, oh, I don't care about the aria awards. I don't care about them, <laughs> you know, because you do kind of have to build up a bit of a shield. You Absolutely, because- yes. Yeah. And you can't put too much emphasis on awards because they actually don't really mean anything. But yeah, winning that was, I did feel a great sense of vindication, I suppose, because I really believed in what I was doing and had believed in what I was been doing for years. And so as much as I had sort of told myself it didn't matter,
1: I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. Do you want to place a little something from that that album? Even a song that you still, you're still very proud of, I mean, I'm sure you're proud of all of them, but even one that we might not necessarily.
0: Well, I can't play anything it's time because I don't I seem to have a capo anywhere around, so I'll play a bit of Nowhere Without You. Um... I make a miserable DJ getting drunk, playing records of late. Wearing out a hole in my heart on the couch from when you went away. Where would I go? Why would I do? I would've been nowhere without you, Now I know heaven's above you, I can grow, I just can't make it on my own.
1: Yeah, so good, so good. And and fantastic, such a good album, that one, such a good album. Thanks, Tim. Now, did you go to Nashville for that album, or was it because of that album you went to Nashville?
0: I made that record in Nashville. Oh, you did, um, right. Yeah, you know, I couldn't believe it too. It was such a special time. Like, yeah, it was 2005 and Jeff's taking a break, and, you know, I didn't have any money. Let's go overseas. I didn't know what. (laughs) I I, I was really close to kind of going, okay, I guess the music thing's over for me now. I better start thinking about what I'm going to do for a real job for the rest of my life. But all the time, all that time, I was writing and demoing and and yeah, that album kind of saved me saved me a bit because it fell into the hands of EMI and they were like, we love it, we want to send you to Nashville to record it. So I got to work with a guy named Brad Jones in Nashville who's just this great producer and with these awesome Nashville musicians and make, at that point in time, was probably the best thing that I'd ever done. The production on it was the best that I'd ever, you know, any of my records had ever sounded. And all of a sudden, Bob Evans was my career. So- um
1: Is it ironic to you that Suburban Songbook was made so far out of suburbia? <laughs> I
0: know. <laughs> or yeah, unless yeah.
1: it's suburban Nashville. I mean, I don't know Nashville that well.
0: <laughs> suburban Songbook was made in an industrial area on the outskirts of Nashville, yeah, Tennessee. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that often the case? I mean, yeah. you know, with records, like, we love the romance of records like, you know, the Rolling Stones, you know, recording in a dilapidated mansion in France or like, you know, the Happy Mondays going off to the Caribbean and Mm. spending millions of money on coke and and (laughs) booze and recording. You know, we love the romance of those stories, but so many of our favorite (laughs) records have been made in shitty little industrial areas or in, you know, subterranean basements in New York or shitty little rooms. Was
1: it talking about Kevin Parker before, I think, that first time album or maybe? Maybe most of the tame albums are made in his bedroom with a sheet over his head.
0: <laughs> That's right. I think the. Well, I mean, that guy's obviously you know a really special talent. I think most people would be in agreement there. But yeah, apparently um, when he f- was first sort of doing the very early tame stuff, you know, the first record or the first EPs or whatever, yeah, it was he wasn't even using Pro Tools or anything. It was just this little digital workstation and yeah, sitting on his bedroom floor. Which, when I read about that, it was kind of like, oh, that sounds exactly like me when I was making my demos at home, except, you know, those demos were not of the quality to, <laughs> to be, ever be heard by anybody, whereas he is, his were, you know. Yeah, he's clearly got a very special set of ears.
1: I think, it would be happy for people to know, though, he's still probably sitting on his bedroom floor making music. It's just his bedroom's in Malibu now. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I think he's.
0: I think he might have a nice, uh, a
1: nice place down in
0: Margaret River uh, in Western Australia. There you go. I think okay. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, <laughs> overlooking the ocean.
1: Now you were mentioning before about the camaraderie with Australian bands. So is that when well, the Basement Birds was a, the project that, that you did with Cav Templey from Eskimo Joe fame, and obviously Josh Pike. Was there anyone else involved in Basement Birds? Or was it- yes, Steve Parkin. Uh, oh yes, yes, another Perth guy. Yeah, right. And was that just more just to get on the road with your mates when everything was everything was good or was that just why not?
0: A little bit of why not. Well, Steve Parkin was playing in my Bob Evans band at the time. Right, okay. And Josh and I had toured together and were good mates. And Josh had just done a tour supporting Eskimo Joe and he became good friends with Cav. And Cav and Steve Parkin had been great mates for years. Cav and I weren't close but we'd known each other for a long time. And so it all just kind of happened. I think Cav was the driving force. It was actually quite nice because yeah, I was really close obviously to Steve because I played in the band with him, Josh, because we'd become really good friends touring together. But Cav being in Eskimo Joe and me being in Jibeda, there was always this kind of we never really were close. I don't know what it was. Maybe maybe there was, you know, there I was talking about all this camaraderie. Maybe there was a bit of competition, but <laughs> but yeah, we were never close. And then Basement Birds kind of smoothed all of that out. And, you know, we became mates, which was probably the best thing f- for me to come out of it 10 years later. It, we made a cool record and it was lots of fun. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, probably the nicest thing about that was just kind of becoming mates with Cav and, and sort of um, getting rid of all that, you know, whatever kind of silly teenage immature stuff that <laughs> may have been going on at the yeah, time.
1: <laughs> now, Now, normally – the first series of my podcast, I generally would go to you and would be a three or four beers or bottles of Red Deep by now, and you'd be playing me songs and things like that. I'm assuming I'm speaking to you from your house right now. Yeah, my garage. Is that my right? Garage. Yeah, yeah. Not a garage in Nashville, just your garage. <laughs> just a garage
0: in uh, Ocean Grove in Victoria, actually, yeah. It's like an Armageddon outside. There's a massive storm. Oh really? Uh, it's been pissing down with rain all day so yeah. I actually learned I
1: learned to surf at 13th Beach, you know, just where the waves aren't, aren't too gnarly. <laughs>
0: They're just, Invalid heads, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yep. Well, that's that's my hood. So how's how's I mean, COVID is the word. How has it changed what you had had planned for the last, I'd normally say for the year, but we're we're pre- creeping into year two now. Yeah. Where would you be at? Would you have done a world tour? Would you have toured with Bob Evans? Would there be a new re- I mean, there's a new record, which we're going to talk about now, but would that have been out earlier? What's happened?
0: Yeah. yeah well, look, if Tomorrowland, which is a record that I put out this year, that that was recorded in March 2020. Okay. Pretty much the last two days in the studio, which is the same weekend where everything went down and we were in lockdown a couple of weeks afterwards. So that record would have come out last year, all things, you know, being normal and didn't come out till this year. And now, you know, it's tough because this year I've just been trying to tour the record and I was supposed to be touring Australia every week of June, right? So by the end of June, that album tour should have been done. As it stands now, the only week of shows I've been able to do, ironically, it was in New South Wales. Yeah. I got out of there two days before... All the shit went down there. Yeah. I've had to postpone my Queensland and WA shows twice. I still haven't done them. So now my shows are stretching out to September. Last year was obviously really difficult for everybody, but, you know, I was getting JobKeeper and, yeah, there were sort of things in place, structures in place to kind of protect my livelihood in a small way. But this year now there's all of that's gone and I just cannot string a couple of weeks of shows together. And as for leaving the country, well, that's... Yeah. I know that there are Australian artists that are announcing overseas dates and stuff late this year into next year I really hope that that happens for them I certainly don't wish them not to but I think it's really ambitious yeah you know I'd really like to you know go back to Japan I'd really like to go back to Spain little pockets in the uh around the and around the place that are aware of my music that I'd love to go to but I can't see it happening for a little while yet maybe next year but yeah it's just it's really challenging very frustrating And there's a limit to how many times, you know, you can keep postponing shows and people to stay interested, you know. It's really, really tough. But it's also
1: that psyche of the people to to keep wanting, because I've got a lot of friends who own bars, and especially in Melbourne, and I found even when Melbourne was opened up, there was still that reluctance to even come into the city, even though technically you were allowed to and you could. Getting people trained up again. I mean, I know, look, no doubt Australians, and I've been to plenty of festivals and plenty of gigs, that no doubt as soon as we can be there, we will be. But we've got to retrain ourselves a bit. To, oh yeah this is what we do on Saturday nights and on, on Wednesdays we go to that bar and we check out that bloke and we've got to retrain our, our I lives. I honestly think
0: that last year Melburnians and Victorians more broadly I honestly think that you know there was a, a low-level trauma that everybody kind of suffered. This year we were really kind of coming out of it and Jeb yeah, and I played a festival up at Randwick Racecourse only like a few months ago, to you know, a few thousand people, and you know, we we played at the Maya Music Bowl, and that was a COVID-safe event. Obviously, people were sort of separated into pods and all that oh, kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, the pods. But stuff was starting to happen. The gears were slowly starting to move again, and there was a sense of optimism. And when, certainly, when I announced the tour for June for the Bob Evans stuff, I was very optimistic that that would happen. And so it's it is really crushing when. You see the things start to fall apart as they have been now. And, you know, now you've got Sydney in lockdown, Melbourne in lockdown, Adelaide's going into lockdown now. And, yeah, you know, it just felt like we were really starting to kind of get ahead and now we're back It feels like we're almost back to where we were last year, so. Well,
1: you're living in Sydney. Living in Sydney like I do, it was a real eye-opener about how the the rug can be really pulled from under you. Like, we were skipping around through the tulips with daisy chains in our hair, like, nothing. Like, we've we've, we've gone past this thing, and then bang. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Look, anyway, look, we won't we won't end on a on a somber note. Tomorrowland uh, is the album out now. Hopefully, this does happen. But you do have tours planned for August, September, and, and as you said, fingers crossed. Can you play me some, a little tiny something from Tomorrowland before we wrap up? Oh, um, yeah, sh- sure. Something that you would like to introduce us to. Um. Um. Once again, I don't
0: have my capo, so uh, play a little bit of a just a bit of a chorus of a yeah, song. Yeah. 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 That'd be great. Um, I don't wanna do. You. Anything without you, no, I don't want to do anything without you.
1: Oh, nice. We'll rename today's podcast Garage Sessions with Bob Evans. Um, <laughs> well, that's never been done before. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything else. Uh, normally what I do, and this will put you on the spot, but I, I finish every podcast okay. with like almost a pay it forward. Okay. Well, hopefully we've introduced some new fans to you and reminded other people of your great work in, in this chat, but anything you'd like or anyone you would like to introduce us to that you're listening to now, something new that you're loving, something you've just discovered. I know it's a question without notice, but-
0: well, let's me have a little think. Well, you know what, I, actually, you know what I'm really loving? And a lot of people will know who, who this guy is. I'm only just kind of sort of switching on to it. Is it. Uh, Baker Boy. Yeah. Indigenous rapper. I think he's got a record that's just about to come out. He's, I think it's his first album. But I've heard his music in all sorts of places. I heard it. God, it was playing. I went to the, the footy with my kid the other week. And his song came on before the game. Yeah, awesome. And the video I've watched the video clip has come on when I've been watching Rage and stuff and it's just I mean, it is impossible not to feel really damn good when you hear this guy's music. It is just so intoxicating. Feel good dance music and, and it sounds like the future too because obviously it's like it's really you know modern kind of dancey kind of rap music but it also incorporates indigenous sounds and and it just sounds like the future you know so yeah I'm all for that at the moment I can definitely recommend uh, yeah Baker Boy Awesome.
1: Well, mate, it's so lovely to see you. It's been 20 years since we first met. Hopefully, we actually get to see each other face-to-face soon. And I hope for everyone's sake that you and everybody else listening, you you can get out on the road and get out of that garage real soon too. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks,
0: mate. Yeah, I
1: think think my wife and kids are pretty keen for me to get out on the road as well. Please, Dad.
0: Hanging around like a bad smell for the last 18 months. (laughs) Thanks so much. Thanks, Tim. Listen.